This is Randy Smith, and you are listening to The First Deal Show. Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. with another special guest as per usual every week. Randy Smith is an out-of-state real estate investor who has gone from being active to passive. So he's now a passive real estate investor, mostly focused in the the commercial space, and he is also a founder of Impact Equity. So welcome, Randy. Awesome. Thank you, Carolyn. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yes, I'm super stoked um, to kind of dig into your story. But before we get to that, I always ask the guests the same four questions every week. The first question that I have, as always, is what was the first album that you purchased? So this is going a a little, uh, a few years back, but I believe my first album was ACDC Back in Black. Was it a vinyl, CD, cassette? It was actually a cassette, yeah. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, and shortly after, I actually upgraded to the Sony Discman, um, oh, nice. so I was buying CDs. But yes, the first first uh, albums I bought were were tapes, definitely. Oh, that's so not cool. eight track. I'm not that old, so just regular <laughs> regular tapes. Yeah. Don't worry, I've had people on here that it was vinyl first, and one. Okay. I had one person that it was an eight track. So. <laughs> that's awesome. So what was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate? Yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately it's fear. So just the fear of it not going well, the fear of looking, fear of looking, looking dumb, the fear of stepping out of the norm, um, which really all of those fears kind of come down to mindset. So um, I think it's probably mindset as a whole that kept me from moving forward. And it was really more based on you know the fear-based scarcity mindset versus abundance that i try to focus on today that's so relatable and i totally understand where you're where that's coming from um but could you define or like tell us what does the scarcity mindset mean to you yeah so it's kind of uh you know there's a really good book and yeah i don't think we'll talk about favorite books but a really good book called gap or the gain um and you know, the scarcity mindset kind of focuses on this idea that there is a limited amount of whatever available. So whether it's money or properties or prestige, whatever that is, there's a limited amount. And in order for somebody to get a lot of something, it's coming from someone else. And um, it it's this weird kind of uncomfortable competition thing that gets created in the scarcity mindset versus abundance where... You know, there there's enough for everybody to go around, whether that be money, fame, uh, property, success, um, energy, excitement, whatever that is. So very, very different um, mindset between scarcity and abundance. And um, going back to that gap or game book that I referenced earlier, you know, this this idea of look at how far I've come versus look at how far I have to go kind of ties in line with the scarcity and, and abundance, I think, as well. Oh, that's a great, I really like that last, those, that line, like how, what was it? How far, 
have I come? How far I've come versus how far I have to go. So yeah, really, I'm... really great book by Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. And uh, yeah, they, you know, they, they suggest focusing on how far you've come versus how far you have to go. Um, because it, it's just more exciting to focus on the positive than it is the negative of how far you have to go. That's such a great point. And it, it's funny you say that because in schools now, as a teacher, they're really pushing the positive mindsets and to have a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And we talk a lot to my students about this. I'm like, man, why didn't they teach this when I was a kid? I would have been a totally different person. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny too. They're like, I remember as I, I don't know, probably 20 years ago, listening to like the Saturday Night Live, the Stuart Smalley, who would stand in front of the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And and people would like, that was this hilarious skit about this positive mindset. Um, but today it's more accepted in society, I think. And, um, you know, I do I do affirmations with my with my 15-year-old daughter. Aww. And I think, um, think the same type of thing. Like, had I had those type of messages being shared with me in a positive way when I was younger, I might have, I might have started down this path sooner. So, yeah, I have a two and three year old and I do the same thing every night with them. Although in the beginning, they're very resistant to it. And so, yeah, I'm like, you know, they're still pretty young that they don't really understand when I'm like, I'm strong and, you know, I'm happy. They don't really get it. But I noticed one time when I was opening, like we we're coming in, opening this door, that's it's like a glass heavy door. And my son uh -huh. before he didn't think that he could open it. And one day he starts like holding the door and he's like, I am strong. I'm strong. And then he <laughs> opens it. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah no, good for you. Thanks. I was like, Oh my God, like it's working or like, you know, even, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very cool. So the next question is what is, okay. So what is something new that you learned or did during the pandemic that others might not know about you? Yeah, it's so that's interesting. I when you ask that question, I think back that, uh, you know, I know a lot of people like um, dug into education, they read more books, they got degrees, they did all kinds of things with all the extra time that they saved from from their commute. But I'm thinking back that probably the most impactful change that I've seen in my life in the last few years since COVID is that I have a very strong morning routine that is mirrored after the miracle morning process and i think what the co what covid gave me and the lockdown gave me was more flexibility and autonomy to really manage and curate the first couple hours of my day versus getting up and rushing and, and um, going like you know just going like mad from the second your feet hit the floor so um Looking back at that period, I think that's probably one of the most uh, impactful things that COVID brought to me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I actually, I've, I haven't read his book, but I adopted some of the principles of that routine because Tanya um, actually would post about it on social media. So I was like, oh, let me try this out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of people... Um, People that aren't book readers uh, might be intimidated by go reading a book about a new morning routine, but it's it's very very simple. 
Um, you don't need to read the book to know what SAVER stands for. And uh, implementing even just two or three of those in your morning, I think, can have a huge impact. For sure. Yeah, because I kind of fell off the bandwagon, and I'm definitely feeling the impacts. Like, my day just feels so off, and I can't explain why. Yeah, yeah. Take control of your morning. You take control of your day, definitely. Mm -hmm. And with that, in that same vein, what is your favorite quote? Yeah. So I, and I don't know who this is, who this is. Um, I should probably look it up because I use this quote all the time, but the quote of whether you believe you can, or you believe you can't, you're right. Mm. Um, kind of coming back to mindset again. So if you believe you can, you will. Right. Yeah. I love it. And so where tell us and me and the 402, where are you based and where are you actively investing now? Yeah, so I am based in Phoenix, Arizona, and I, my investments kind of span the country. The majority of my investments are here, well, probably 50% of my investments are here in Phoenix, Arizona in um, multifamily apartments, uh, but I invest, um, I invest in a deal in Tennessee, I've got deals in Atlanta, I've got deals all over the Sunbelt primarily. Mm -hmm. So anything in that Sunbelt um, is something that I will look at and consider. Yeah. Oh, great. And so with all that being said, Randy, tell us, what was your first ever real estate investment or deal? Yeah, so my first deal, I, um, let me, yeah, let me back up a little bit. There's I was I was in business to business sales in corporate America for about 25 years. Wow. And with that, I spent a lot of time on the road um, driving from appointment to appointment. So we had a lot of the, um, windshield time. And um, I started listening to podcast probably back like bigger pocket in real estate radio guys back in 2013 is when I first started listening to podcast. Okay. And my first, real estate investment outside of my own personal residence was not until 2019. So a six year period where I was just listening on the sidelines and wanting to take action, but not taking action. So um, my first investment was actually a turnkey out of state single family rental in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and I, I had heard an operator on one of the podcasts that I was listening to and finally got sick and tired of sitting on the sidelines and very reactively took um, took some action and bought a couple of properties very quickly um, in early 2019. So let's, let's get back to that sitting on the sidelines part because I think and I feel yeah. like you're, I, I mean, I think you're the first guest who's kind of brought up this sitting on the sidelines and actually like pointed it out right because most people we kind of just dive right into their first deal but i think that this is very relatable for the 402 because they might be listening to this podcast or other podcasts and reading books and so what why do you think there was that hesitation or you know what was the difference that in 2019 all of a sudden right for six years you like were just consuming content and understanding and what did you feel like you were missing or didn't know that you couldn't start investing after that first year? Yeah. So there, I mean, there's this perception that, um, one, you've got to have a lot of money to invest in real estate Two, you need a bunch of time 
in order to do it. Um, and three, just like the, the big fears that come along with it. Everybody's heard of the guy who bought, you know, maybe they're the accidental landlord. They, they ended up moving to a new place and had to rent out the other one. And, um, that didn't go so well. Um, so I, I think that, I think that the fears combined with just the reality of life and some of the, the, the misinformation or the, the beliefs that we have around real estate investing that just aren't true are really what kept me from doing that. And, you know, I think, you know, part of my story is that my career would have seasons that were extremely busy and during the seasons when I was just crazy in my W2, I would just push everything to the, to the side and think when I, you know, when I, when I get through this phase and I have a little bit more time and I'll have a little bit more money, then maybe I'll start investing then. Um, so I found that, you know, if, if I had promotions every three years or so, you'd get the new promotion to be crazy for a year and then it would kind of settle out for a while. And ultimately what happened is I had moved into a new role. I had become a top performer in that role. So the, the good money came along with it. And then with the mastery of the role, I had more autonomy and more time on my hands, which gave me the confidence, I think, to jump in to investing when I did. But in hindsight, um, I could have likely jumped in at any point throughout those seasons in my career and still still been able to do the type of investing that I was doing. Certainly, I would have the bandwidth to do passive investing, which I'm doing today. So, Okay, so... Okay, which is a great point, right? That I think everyone who's interested in real estate, and I know people personally who are like, yeah, I you know read this book or I saw this thing and now I want to do real estate investing. And they think I need to be an active investor. But in reality, there's different, you can be active or passive. And I think the passive side is the one that people don't learn about or know until they've been in the game and have kind of met other real estate investors to know like, oh wait, if I like my job, like I don't have to quit my job and start doing real estate investing full time, right? There are other options and avenues. So can you kind of speak to passive investing and what that means? Um, yeah, yeah. So passive investing is is very similar to um, investing in like the stock market or stocks or crypto or any of the other things that you hear people investing in. And, um, you know, this idea that you need to have you know, twenty five, fifty, hundred thousand dollars before you can invest passively in real estate. It's just not. It's not true. There are tools where you can invest in in actual hard asset real estate outside of REITs for you know a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, something small, by partnering up with other people and then investing in deals through. You know, there's different mechanisms you can use to do that. So, passive investing, kind of at a very high level is uh, ultimately an operator will bring together investors to invest in a deal. That operator then manages a business plan on whatever asset that they're buying. And then when they make monthly profit, they distribute the profits according to the ownership in that entity. Or when they sell or refinance, they then distribute the proceeds of the sale or the refinance in the same percentages of ownership as well. So um, probably the easiest way to explain 
what I focus on primarily in the multifamily syndication space is it's, it's very similar to a house flip, but it's just a much larger scale, much bigger dollars. Um, and the, the result is the same. We buy the ugly apartments on the street, we fix them up, we raise the rents, and when we sell them, there's significant upside because we've increased the rents, which increases the sales price of the asset. So trying to say that as easily as, as I could, but definitely whatever questions you have, we could dig into that. So, Yeah, no, I think that was a very, uh, a pretty good explanation, right? It's, and that's the exact analogy that I used to tell other people is like, instead of flipping the house all by yourself, it's a group of people that are doing it and you're just watching the thing go from ugly to pretty <laughs> versus when yeah. you're doing it yourself, you're like in the thick of it and your head is spinning because you don't know if this is the right way to do it and you don't have other people to lean on. Whereas if you're a passive investor, you there's a lot of other people that are doing some of the checks. So you can feel a mm -hmm. little bit more comfortable about the decision that you're making to invest all this money um, into their deal. And yeah, and I, I think it's, you know, kind of goes back to, there's, there's another great book by, by the same authors that I referenced earlier, Benj Benjamin Hardy and um, uh, Dan Sullivan, mm -hmm. the, um, they talk about who, not how. So mm. allowing the experts to do what the experts do best and as a high income W2 guy, go out there and do what you do best. Like go out there, work your job, make your money, but then hand it off to the people who are experts at real estate investing versus going out there and um, fumbling around trying to flip a house or rent a house or do all of the things that we try to do as active real estate investors on the side um, fairly ineffectively compared to allowing the experts to do what they do best. A hundred percent. And so with all that being said, right, we kind of got into what you're act, what you're currently doing now. But um, after that jump, you know, when you're six years later, you're like, I'm tired of this and I'm actually going to go and invest. And you said not that you, you didn't say, oh, I'm investing in my backyard in Arizona. No, no, no. You're like, I invested out of state in Kent in Kansas, Missouri. And I'm like Kansas City, Kansas yeah. City. Yeah. Like what? So how do you go from someone <laughs> who's like, I have no, you know, I'm going to do this someday to, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere totally out like that I have no familiarity with. I mean, I don't know if that's where you're from originally, but you know, I'm making an assumption no. here, but it's like, what yeah. you just said, yeah, let's go out of state. So tell us about that story. Yeah. So I, I am somewhat of a ready, uh, ready fire aim guy, mm. um, driven by excitement, energy, and emotion at time. But, um, yeah, like I, like I said, I was sitting on the sidelines for a long time. I felt like I was educated. Uh, I was, you know, I had listened to thousands of podcasts and read dozens of books probably on the space. And uh, really, it was just that fear that kept me on the sidelines. So I heard a podcast one day and they had a turnkey operator from Kansas City on there. And um, he was very animated and high energy and and quite frankly, he was a very good sales guy. Well, he was a sales guy, I will say that. Um, so I got very excited and talked with my wife and said, I think this is it, let's do it. And uh, we got on the phone with, with this operator and I, I was so excited. I, was, I wanted to, if he would have let me, I would have probably bought 10 homes from him. Um, 
because I was ready to go and I was going to go all in. And he actually, he actually slowed me down and he said, well, let's just try one or two first and <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, and I'm really glad that he did. He kind of put the brakes on it for me. Um, yeah. because that ended up being quite the ride for the first, well, the whole time we owned those properties. So, yeah. And you know, I think that's also a good point, right? Is that like, even though it took six years in the mean, we don't know when we're going to feel comfortable and ready for something. And so maybe that was it, right? Like you just needed, because you went out of state and you went out of state with a turnkey investment company. So they're the ones who found the property. They already fixed it up. They put in a tenant. So it's like transitioning you. It's like almost like the baby step. And like, maybe that's what you needed and felt more comfortable with versus like doing everything yourself from the initial get go. I mean, we'll never know, but Yep. No, and I, I mean, in hindsight, I'm, I'm really glad that we bought those properties because I wouldn't be where I am today without mm -hmm. it. And I'm, st I'm still a firm believer that turnkey passive investing is a very, very good place to put your money. Yeah. Um, because again, you're putting, it, it comes back to the same principle. You're putting your trust in the operator mm -hmm. to find the right asset, like you said. Um, so it just, it talks to the importance more and more about picking the right operator, whether it be in turnkey, whether it be in passive investing, no matter what it is, picking your partners wisely is extremely important in this space. And that, I mean, all the way down to house flippers picking construction workers and yeah. um, anything that you do, it's it's the partner, the, the due diligence that you do on your partners is extremely important. 100%. So, okay, you get on the phone with this guy and you and your wife are like, all right, we're doing this. Um, what, you know, how much did you guys end up paying? Like, what was that process? How did you finance that? Because I, I don't even know that I know how that kind of financing works. Yeah, so w when you're buying turnkey, generally um, it, it's just like you're purchasing a home. Mm -hmm. You just get the added benefit that they've got built-in property management. They're going to renovate the units or they already have. And then the, the idea in theory is a turnkey investment, meaning you pay the money, you get the key and, and you're on your way. So with these, they were, I mean, they're $100,000 properties. So I believe we put, I think we put $20,000 down on each of them. Um, and we bought, we bought two within 30 days. So the, the, belief was that I was buying a turnkey functional property and when in fact it was yes they did have renters in them and they had been renovated air quotes um, but not not to the quality that I thought they were or that I would want my my tenants to be living in so ultimately we got a couple of couple of dogs um, with a lot of problems oh. that um, cost us a lot of money over the years that we had them uh, with bad tenants and the whole nine yards. So um, wait, so again, mm -hmm. go ahead. Did you get photos of these properties? Like, did you see them before you actually paid for them? So we did. Yes, we had photos. We had a scope of work. We had their inspections. Um, and probably the, the biggest mistake that I made out of the entire process was that I, 
it was it was presented to me that they had done inspections and you certainly can go out and get your own inspection but we're pretty confident in or we're confident in what we've done and and um but we'll leave that to you you guys do an inspection if you want to and i chose not to get an inspection because i trusted that that they had done the work that i believed they had done and you know after everything was signed the money was paid the loans are in place um, we we started finding that the roof needed to be replaced. There was huge plumbing issues. The tenants were kind of nightmares. Um, it was ultimately most of these things could have been avoided had I done an inspection on the front end. Oh, man. So I'm guessing that you would not recommend this company for people to use. I You know, I would not. Um <laughs> I don't want to talk badly about him. Oh, yeah, I'm just no. sharing my experience. Yes. Yeah. So, but, um, but no, I would not suggest this guy. Wow. So. That's really unfortunate. But here's the thing is that even though that experience was kind of not the greatest, you didn't leave real estate investing, which I think is also another important, um, like, which is also valuable. Cause I think there are some people who may have, bought one deal or had one poor experience and then they completely like totally hands in the air, give up. Uh, yep. So, you know, why did you continue? And like how, what happened from there? Like after you bought those first two properties and then you started having all these issues, like how soon did the issues come up? You know, I'm just curious. Yeah. So I, I actually got into my um, expense management tool that I used just before this call to take a look at that because I've been talking about this for the last few years, okay. uh, but very specifically, two months after we closed on the property, we had to replace a roof. What? And, um, you what? know, the roof was, it was $8,000. He agreed to split it with us okay. because I, um, I can be kind of a, a bull in a china shop and um, <laughs> I push real hard on things. So, um, so he agreed to split that cost with us, um, but still. If you're making, even if you're making $200 a month per door, $4,000 kills your profit on that place for what, two years? Yeah. Um, so that happened. And then it wasn't 45 days later, we had $1,000 in, about $1,000 in plumbing repairs. Another month later, we had another $1,000 worth of, of plumbing repairs. So it was wow. just... It was a, a long process. And then at about, at about six months, um, we made the decision because of our experience with this, that we wanted to be more involved in the construction process. Oh. Um, so we actually shifted from Kansas City over to Atlanta and started doing the Burr process, um, mm. which which ended up being a really fun experience. There was a lot of challenges there. Um, we ended up doing some full gut rehabs down to the studs, which brought its, its whole, um, a whole different set of challenges and opportunities to learn. Um, but all in all, in the end, fast forward a handful of years, on all of the properties, including the Kansas City properties, we ended up making money on all of those. So even though they weren't, you know, slam dunk home runs, the Kansas City properties, mm -hmm. um, we still made money on it. And if it wasn't for those first two deals, 
I probably wouldn't have jumped in and done the burr process in Atlanta, which we made a ton of money on those properties because the timing was just impeccable. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's funny that we're talking about Kansas City, Missouri, because I actually have a friend who owns um, like some apartment, smaller units there. And he says that property management companies aren't great there. Like, he's like, Caroline, there's a business idea. Like, if you move out to Missouri, there's opportunity. I'm like, I don't know that I want to give up uh, living in New York to go live in Kansas just yet. Like, or Kansas City. Yeah. So confusing. And property property management is a thankless job. And there's not a lot of money in property management either. So, and and that's one of the challenges as a out-of-state investor I mean, the property management's, their loyalty is, and should be, to their tenants. They want to make sure their tenants have safe, healthy, um, you know, good homes to live in. But every dollar of profit on the property management side is a dollar of profit out of the tenant or the owner's pocket as well. So managing that property manager uh, is, is really, really important and making sure you have a good partner there is is super important important as well yeah 100 percent. it's like as you said earlier the due diligence part for all these pieces is so important because it's like trust but verify exactly exactly um awesome so uh where you know if you could go back in time right like you get a time machine and knowing what you know now like how would you do things differently or what would be a piece of advice that you give to someone who's maybe looking to get started and they just don't know, you know, which way to go considering that you have such a variety, such a colorful mm-hmm. resume of different experiences. Yeah. I would, I don't know. I, I think the short answer is just start. Yeah. Um, the, the more detailed answer is find something that, that excites you where you think you can get some, you can add some value to the equation and then just jump in because you can do, you can do, I mean, there are thousands of ways to make money in real estate. Um, and, it, you know, I think Brandon Turner said it's not even so, it, it's not as important on what you decide. It's just that you decide on something and do it. Because um, if you bring energy and enthusiasm and excitement and um, your whatever your superpower is to whatever asset class and investment style you choose, you're going to do well in it. Real estate is the best place to put your dollars. Um, and if if you work hard and you're a half smart person, you can figure this thing out and do very, very well with it. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice there for you, 402. And um, could you talk, you know, so before we started recording, Randy was telling me that he's a founder in this company called Impact Equity. And I thought that the message was really cool what, and what they're doing. So you want to share with them? what that's all about? Yeah, yeah. So Impact Equity was founded just shortly after I got laid off earlier this year from corporate America. Um, And really, it's about educating and inspiring the new passive investor to help give them the confidence to pull the trigger on their first passive investment. And our goal at Impact Equity is to put about one new syndication or passive investment opportunity in front of our investors every month. And my superpower, after investing in 18 different deals and eight different operators across four different asset classes, 
my superpower is finding good deals, doing due diligence on operators, and then presenting excellent investment opportunities to investors. So our goal is to just put really great investment opportunities in front of our investors and help to educate and inspire them along the way. Yeah, that's awesome. So 402, if you want an easy, streamlined way, and this episode has inspired you, where can we, where can they find out how to connect with you, Randy? Yeah, so the easiest way would be to go to the website, impactequity.net. Um, we have a section on the bottom where you can put your name and email address and find the top 10 questions to ask a syndicator. Um, so I'd encourage you to do that. And then that would also get you... Um, included on our monthly newsletter. And of course, my contact information is on the website as well. I do a lot of uh, education on LinkedIn is my primary social setting. Um, so check us out on LinkedIn as well, Randy Smith or Impact Equity. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Randy, for coming on the show. And that is all, folks. 402. Did you learn something or take away a golden nugget? Then I'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend. And I'd really also like to talk to you about real estate on Instagram or LinkedIn. So follow me at First Deal Show. If you know someone that has an amazing first deal story, or you just want to give us the dirt on your first deal, shoot me an email at firstdealshow at gmail.com and let's get you on the show. 402, thank you so much for listening. I love all of you and I will see you next Friday.